Um, I should tell you guys with a story I'm going to tell you that today um, I wear my collar whenever I have to or when it's helpful. But when I was uh, getting ordained, going through seminary, all this, I couldn't wait to get ordained. And one of the things I really was looking forward to was wearing the collar. So when I got ordained, it was in, uh, I was in London for the year and I got ordained in London. And then I was going to wear this collar everywhere I went, you know, grocery store, let me put on the collar, you know, whatever it was, I was going to wear the collar. But the first awkward moment that came up was uh, one day, it was about a week, I think, after I'd been ordained, I went down um, to the underground and got on the tube. And as soon as the door shut, there was a guy who kind of stepped out in the middle and he had like this speaker microphone thing. And he started preaching the good news, which was of the form of hell and damnation unless you get your ticket with Jesus to go somewhere else, kind of a deal. And everybody on this uh, car suddenly starts looking over at me going, yeah, he's on your team. What, what, are you, what are you doing about this? And I was like, yeah, he's on my team. And it was like, oh. that was when I learned about the quick remove collars. <laughs> no. but, the, um, but this, you know, maybe this guy was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Maybe he was. But I really sort of felt like this was his normal MO. He didn't care about anything. He was going to grab his megaphone and head off to the, to the underground every time and preach hell and damnation and, you know, hope, hope you find God's love, mercy, and grace in there somewhere, but he was going to scare you to, to doing it. And it just really bothered me for a long time. Believe it or not, that's sort of a little bit what I want to talk about this morning. And I know some of you are thinking, no, I thought there was no sermon worse than stewardship are now wor worrying that maybe, maybe I've come upon one. But we're doing this as part of a sermon series where we're going back to the first century church in the book of Acts. And we're looking at all the great things that happen in the church and all, these, all the growth and energy and all the things taking place and looking what they did and kind of wanting to engage it and ask, how can it help us or how does it speak to us today with what we're doing? And today we get this story from Acts where we get Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And there, there are three things from this story that I would love for us to kind of hold up today. And I, and I want to encourage you to make this your lunchtime conversation about these three things today. But the, the first one is to stop just for a minute and look at the Ethiopian eunuch and what he's doing in this, in this story that we hear today. Because this guy is on a spiritual journey and he has made a pilgrimage all the way to Jerusalem to worship the God of the Jews. And now he's on the way back in this caravan, most likely. He's in this chariot, and he's sitting there reading from the prophet Isaiah, trying to figure it out. That's where he is. So, so just hold that thought for a moment. And I want to say for a minute, you know, that I think oftentimes many of us think, I'm going to meet with spiritual growth if I just, if I just keep breathing long enough. And I'm not saying there's not some level of truth to that, maybe in some way. But I think what's interesting to stop and think about is this guy is putting out some effort. Like he is taking a pilgrimage. He's sitting there studying the prophets, trying to figure it out, all this stuff. He's open to hearing a voice when Philip comes up alongside him and all this. He's doing stuff. And I think for us, you know, it's um, our whole spiritual journeys as Christians are they're marked by grace. It's not stuff that we're going to accomplish or whatever. 
But it doesn't mean that we're not invited to come into this to make something happen, right? Uh, Dallas Willard, the spiritual writer and philosophy professor in California, writes about this. He says that grace means you don't earn it. So it's always going to be a gift from God. But it doesn't mean that you don't put out some effort. And I always love it. I don't know how many of you guys have ever gone down these stairs into the gym that's down there in the stairs. But there's, um, they have a saying on the wall that says God gives the talent on one side and the other side of the gym says we give the effort. And I think there's a little bit about that with our spiritual lives. It was, is God gives the grace ultimately, but he invites us in to put, put forth some effort. And I think we pause on this Ethiopian eunuch to ask, are we doing that? And I want to throw something out here. If, if you have been in the same spiritual place for five years, the needle has never moved and you've been stuck there five years. We have a lot of clergy on staff. Why not call up Eric or Bill or me or any of the other clergy and say, I'd like to get coffee. I've been stuck for five years and talk about what's holding you back. I mean, why, why are you not making progress? Where is this? Because I feel like we're always going to have some steps backwards. We're all going to have that. But, but if, we're, if we're in the same place we've been for more than five years, we need some input maybe from the outside. Let me say it that way, all right? So that's the first thing I want to say. So at lunch today, that's the first thing is to talk about what is the place of effort. It's all about grace, but we show up with some effort if we're going to grow in this thing, right? And the second thing is we're, all of these things are kind of connected today because we're talking about the faith process. And the next thing I kind of want to turn to is to talk about how we share faith. And I want to suggest that Philip today has got this key role, but it's not an accident what he does. Like the angel's going to send him onto this road and all this. And it may look like he's just being told what to do all the way. But this is for all of the Jesus followers at this time. They're all being sent out to go share the good news, to go share what they've found. And it's part of what it means to be a Christian. There's no getting, getting around this. There's like, you can come to the Episcopal Church, but even here, evangelism is still part of it, as I'm going to explain in a minute, because it's part of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus has these original 12 followers. He's going to send them out. Go preach the good news. Later on, he's going to get the 70, and he's going to say, go out and heal and preach the good news. And then later, at the, you know, at the very end of Matthew's gospel, he's going to send every single follower out, you and me, all of us, out to make disciples to share the good news, the great, the great commission. We all go out. It's part of what it means to be a Christian. And when we, we did a baptism in here at the previous service at nine, and so it's fresh on my mind, but if you'll remember the baptismal covenant that everybody in this room has been baptized in Episcopal Church has taken, and even if you've just been here for a service, you've said, we get to this one line where we'll say, will you, by word and example, share the good news of God in Christ? We will. And we sometimes think word, we, and we kind of don't hear that one. And we say example, well, I can just be a good person. It's word and example. It's part of what it means to be a Christian. It's why they put it into the baptismal vows, right? By word and example, what we do. It's part of what it means. We find God's love, mercy, and grace as the best thing in life. We're called to share it. It's an infinite supply of it. We're called to share it. But here's the thing, I, the pivot on this, to go back to the guy that I started with, this guy that's in the underground, is I, I think if you read scripture, you'll see again and again, it's the Holy Spirit that leads and guides us in all of this. 
It's not about us having some agenda or having something we're trying to do. It's just walking life with the Spirit, and the Spirit leads us to do things that will, in their own way, share God's good news, right? There's a passage where Paul talks about somebody coming along and planting seeds, and somebody else is watering it, and somebody else is doing this. And how do you know what role you're supposed to have? I think it's because the Spirit ultimately will be the one who'll lead us. You just need to say something encouraging to this guy. That's all you need to do. You need to, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit will lead us in all this, right? And I think that's why when you look about, like Romans 8 will say that it, the Holy Spirit is the one who allows us to cry out, Abba, Father, and to know we're children of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes us adopted, who brings us to that place. I think it's the same reason why Jesus, when he's, before he ascends, after he's risen, he tells all these followers who are, who are gung-ho, they've got it all now, don't go anywhere, just wait, wait, just wait here in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes. Because the Holy Spirit's gonna empower and to lead and do all this stuff. And you know, and I think um, sometimes we think about, there's a place in scripture in the New Testament where it says all of us should be ready to give an account for the hope that's within us. So I think we've got to come to terms with telling our own story, how we found God's grace and love. But elsewhere, Jesus talks about the people being persecuted. Don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit's going to tell you what to say. And I think, I think it, when I read these things, I think we always got to be ready to talk about where we find our hope our own story, our own journeys. But as we speak in other people's lives, the Holy Spirit's going to give us the words. It's going to tell us what to do. And part of the question for us is, are we willing to ask the Holy Spirit to lead us? Would we be, would we be willing in our spiritual journeys to say, I'm open to hearing what you want me to do? Or whatever else. You know, we're, we're really happy with the Holy Spirit as long as we can keep him as sort of a domesticated dog. You know, in a few minutes, in a few minutes, Eric is going to come to the altar. And we do this every week. You know, you, sometimes people talk about charismatic churches. I always say, well, we're in a church that every single Sunday, somebody's raising their hands up front. Eric's going to do that. And he's inviting the Holy Spirit to come down right there and to change stuff. That happens every single week here at the altar. The question is, are we willing to do it in our own lives, right? And Philip does that. Philip is led off onto this road by the angel but then we hear that he's told by the Holy Spirit to go along this, um, to where this Ethiopian eunuch is. And I don't know whether he heard an audible voice or whether it's more of the way we speak about nudges and the way you get this sense that God's telling you to do something. But what we know is that he ultimately does it. And I think for us, that's the way it oftentimes works. The Holy Spirit will say, you know, for this person who's having a hard go right now, all you need to say, maybe the Spirit's telling you, man, I'm sorry for what you're going through. The last time I went through something like that, I was so glad I had the church family around me and I had God strengthen me in that. That's all I got to say to that person because that's all the Spirit wanted me to say. Or over here, it's something else or whatever it is. But asking the Spirit to lead us as we encounter all these different people, I think is ultimately the key on this. I was thinking about this the other day because uh, I, I was having a hard day. And um, I don't, this thing may have been there forever, and I may have just noticed it the other day. But I was, I was asking God, talking in the car, doing a little praying in the car, and uh, asking for some encouragement. And I'm on the way home, and I get to a block that's basically somewhere on University, almost at Abrams. And uh, I drive by this house that somebody put a sign out in their front yard that said, don't give up. And I thought, 
I needed to see that today. Maybe that was for me. I don't know. But I wonder that person, I don't know if they're a Christian or not, but I wonder if God's spirit wasn't moving in them to say, you need to put something in your yard and encourage all these people that go by your house every day. I don't know. I think the spirit works that way. I think things happen that way. When I was preparing for this sermon, I called the woman who's in charge of, I think her position now is she's in charge of evangelism for the National Episcopal Church is what I think her role is. And she's from, our, from Dallas. And I always love in introducing her because she has the most beautiful resume of anyone I know, literally. She's got degrees from Stanford, it's either Yale or Harvard, and Oxford. So I always love introducing her. But I was telling her what I was talking about, and she was telling me the story about when she was a brand new Christian. She was at the time, as if she's, you can get, she's an achiever, right, when I tell you the rest of this. She's in L.A. working as an actress. And um, she um, was telling me the story. She was a new Christian. She was going late at night to um, the drugstore around the corner. And she said she was going in, there was a homeless guy on the front. And she heard this nudge, this voice, whatever it is inside of us saying, you need to go tell that guy that God loves him. Just go tell him that. And she was like, oh, that's so weird. And he's homeless. And I'd rather not even look at him. She goes in the store and she buys whatever she needs to do. And she's coming out. She said she heard the same thing again. Go tell the guy that God loves him. And she was like, oh, I don't. She gets in her car and she drives a block away. And she said she's in the car and she just kept God's saying, go back. Tell that guy that. So she turns around and she goes back over to this homeless guy. And she says, man, I'm looks at him, introduces herself and says, you know, this may be weird, but I really feel like God's telling me that I'm supposed to tell you that God loves you. And she said, the church I go to has a monthly service for homeless people. It's next week. And we want to, I want, really want to invite you to it. And she writes down the address. And the, she said, the guy started to cry. And he said, you know, yesterday I had a woman come up to me and say the exact same thing. And she invited me to the exact same service. And, uh, and she said for her, that's what opened up her whole adventure. She calls it the great adventure of listening to the Spirit and figuring out where to speak and what to do. And I think that's the way it oftentimes works. It's not that you need to be Billy Graham. It's just you may need to say one thing, God loves you, or somebody cares, whatever the Spirit will lead you. question is, are we open to it? That's the second thing for conversation at lunch today is to think about what this role of sensitivity of the Spirit as we share the good news of God's love, mercy, and grace. And the, the final thing I want to say today is kind of what takes place after Philip gets in the chariot. So Philip comes along, they get the chariot. We don't know exactly what Philip says. But we know he's opening up Isaiah. We're ta he's talking about understanding Jesus is the suffering servant spoken about in Isaiah and all this kind of stuff. But clearly he's talking about baptism because what comes out of eunuch's mouth next and he's probably talking about discipleship but they come across this water somewhere and this Ethiopian eunuch looks out and says oh there's some water what's to stop me from being baptized and Philip like a good pastor minister says to him well you need to take an eight-week course back at our church <laughs> that's not what he says he's like yeah okay there we there we are so whatever you're going to say about baptism it's not about a whole bunch of training I think what it ultimately involves is renewal and a new life in Christ and, and making that commitment. And this guy, the Ethiopian eunuch, is ready for that. And Philip's like, yeah, there's nothing. Let's go. And they baptize him, and then God takes Philip, Philip on. And I think when I hear that story, it's a reminder to me to, to always ask the question, are we like this Ethiopian eunuch? Are we like all in? Like, 
there's the water, I'm ready. Like, are we all in? Because I think that's really, at the, at the end of the day, what Philip is saying, yes, you're ready for a new life. And if you know about baptism in the early church, it was frequently that people would go down into the water with immersion without any clothes on, come out, put on new clothes, new name, new life, big change, new deal. It's an all-in proposition. And I think that's what Philip, why Philip said, yeah, we're ready. Let's do this. The question for us, is that where we are? What's holding us back? Are we all in? Because I think it matters. It changes how we see everything. So anyway, my, my prayer and request for you today at lunch is to think a little bit about God's, um, your effort in the journey that God's on with you in your spiritual life. To think about this place of the Holy Spirit in sharing God's good news, love, and mercy in the world. And then to sort of contemplate where we are or if we're all in and what's holding us back. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us uh, so much, that you walk with us wherever we are on this journey in life. And Lord, we ask just that we'd be open to your spirit to strengthen us and lead us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.